Welcome to Connected Philanthropy. In today's episode, we talk about value-based grant making. The first voice we hear is Ashley Harper, Client Success Manager. Let's join the discussion. So we have been hearing quite a bit of conversation around um, various aspects of grant making. This, I believe this past year has asked us to rethink a lot of things, uh, including grant making. And we've we've heard from a lot of clients who are doing everything from just from redesigning their the forms that they use to revamping their entire decision-making process. And some have turned specifically to values-based grant making. So this basically means aligning the practice of your grant making with the values that your organization intrinsically has, whether they're publicly visible on your website or whether they're more internal. So our first question, why employ values-based grant making? So what, maybe what prompted a more critical look at your grant making practices um, and what are you hoping to, to achieve by, by changing these? My name is Kate Sitton, and I am with the Carl and Marie Anderson Foundation in Austin. Um, and we kind of started this back in, um, I guess it was 2007, 2008, um, with the Great Recession. As most of us know, um, foundations lost a lot of money during that time, and we were no different. And our board um, put us on a budget. And... Um, really drastically cut back the amount um, of money that we could grant. And we felt, uh, staff felt that um, this is when our, when our grantees needed us most. And so we started a program back then. We hired a consultant to help our, our grant partners to raise uh, money from uh, larger gifts and we've kind of carried that forward um, every year since then in different variations um, in working directly with development officers, et cetera. And last year we knew um, that our grant partners would really need more help um, during the pandemic. And so we started a webinar series with a, with a consultant. Uh, I think she had 10 cohorts of about 10 people each of our grantees, and we grant in Texas, New Mexico, and Oklahoma. And it was more, it was kind of just a support group. Um, what are we going through? Um, what are, what struggles are we having, et cetera. And they just loved it. And everybody felt like it was um, really just what they needed to help them get through, you know, uh, cha- all the changes that they were going through. So this is, definitely putting you on the spot, but as far as values-based grant making, what, what are some of the, the values you feel that kind of prompted the staff uh, to, to move toward what can we do? What, what are some other avenues sure. we have for our applicants? Yeah. Um, well, you know, we truly believe that our grantees are, are our grant partners. Um, we can't do what we do without them. Um, it has always been our goal um, to not throw obstacles in their way um, and 
to help them to be the best that they can be. I think that's that's an an excellent value statement. Grantees are our partners. Mm-hmm. Um, we're working with them, not not trying to throw up obstacles. That's great. We have a um, Toby with the Philanthropy Network Greater Philadelphia. Maybe discuss this a little bit further. Some really wonderful values in here. Um, I'm curious how uh, you apply these values to your grant making process. Uh, on our website, and I think it's a, I think it's a great discussion to to engage in something that our board has done, but also our larger community here. We've had a lot of um, conversation, and I'm sure many of you have as well, around diversity, equity, and inclusion for our grant making, for our grantees, for our boards. And there's been really been a very strong movement within the county and the county's nonprofit organizations to move the needle you know, based on our, our value of, of, of promoting diversity and, and fostering that. Um, you know, we felt we wanted to help our, our nonprofits. So we were working with a number of, of organizations to, to come up with a, kind of a, a roadmap um, to engage in this conversation, kind of level the playing field, because as, as many of you probably know, you have, you have large organizations who are supported by maybe national um, umbrella organizations where um, a lot of it's being fed to them in, 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 in ways that they can implement on the local level, but then there are a lot of smaller organizations that just don't have the capacity to do it. So we're trying to figure out how we can bring some of those initiatives um, to the local community and, and, and move the needle when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And you know, it's not necessarily to, to shame anybody because I think everybody's trying to work hard on, uh, on, uh, on trying to be better when it comes to, to diversity and define it for themselves what diversity means. But at, at the same time, we also want to make them aware that this is an ongoing conversation and, and a conversation that's here to stay. So the sooner they can kind of wrap their minds around this, um, we won't be the only ones asking for it, but uh, larger uh, organizations will, will do as well. So if, if, if they want to engage in this, it's a good time to start at least thinking about it and, and engage with us in, in establishing a, a more solid foundation. What did, was it just the past kind of year, the, the climate that prompted some, some changes? I, I think it had a lot to do with it. I, I think the conversation has been around for for some time. Um, you, you, you look at the, the demographics of our county. You know, you're looking at about eighty. I think it's like eighty two or eighty three percent that there are there are whites. Um, you know, minority populations are, are, are um, more towards one end of the, of the county than another. So there's always been some discussion around how we can better serve our populations. Uh, and I, I think the, the last year, year and a half, uh, as well as COVID, I think has has just um, brought this more to the forefront and, and really reminded organizations that, you know, we can't just wait for this to, to, to happen, you know, naturally, we, we really need to, to, to push. So we're, we're trying to do our part, fund some initiatives, be part of initiatives, and, and also um, include some of that in our current grant practices. Thank you, Toby. Both Kate and Toby have already kind of talked about here's some of the things we've changed based on our values. We're now asking different type of thought-provoking questions. We're now offering, what, what else does this look like? Not, not only the change, if, you know, because we haven't all made changes, what about the 
just the practice of review. How does this look? Uh, I'm Beth. I'm with the Sisters of St. Joseph Health and Wellness Foundation, and we serve in West Virginia. Um, we're part of the larger network of the Congregation of St. Joseph that one of their primary charisms or values is um, shifting from institutionalized power and privilege to a culture of inclusivity and mutuality. And so typically when we think of that, we think of racial justice issues, issues of uh, income inequality, things of that nature. But as a foundation, you know, we really took stock this year of what role does philanthropy play in that culture of power and privilege. And certainly historically, um, it's really had a huge role uh, in power. And so we looked at how we could shift and, and really embrace that value of inclusivity and mutuality. Um, and coming from a nonprofit background of being the person who was begging for grant funds, I also knew on a really tangible level um, how kind of screwed up our, our funding priorities were. Um, and not even like what we fund, we, we didn't really focus on that, but we focused on how we fund. And so we did, a a series of listening sessions across the state. And, you know, our foundation has long kind of valued this relationship-based approach to grant making. Um, and that was really kind of laid out for me when I started. But we wanted to look at how our practices um, really enhanced that idea, again, of inclusivity. And so um, starting next spring, we're, we're eliminating applications altogether. Um, we're going to be doing a uh, conversation-based approach to um, grant making, and we're really embracing the values behind trust-based philanthropy, and we've been blessed with some really great examples of that across our country and been meeting with them, had them present to our board so that they can kind of get on board and understand what it means to be a trust-based philanthropist. Um, and we're also looking at more multi-year funding, unrestricted funding, looking at, uh, you know, if we have extra funds available in certain lines, do we just let those go over into the next year or do we try and spend those on maybe a priority area? So this year we focused on spending those on minority equity, um, health equity grants. Uh, but yeah, I think um, it's, it's a process and it takes some getting used to um, in, in really trusting our grantees, but without it, we're not really walking the values that we have said that we are, you know. Mm -hmm. So what about um, for, for some of you who've been through this kind of, of change based on, you know, values, values-based grant making, how, how do you prepare? I mean, what are some other things that, that spurred this or helped you prepare to make changes? Um, this happened after we were already talking about plans, but um, the fix the form um, a program that you guys hosted a couple of weeks ago was mm -hmm. so great because it, you know, you, you guys did the work for us, I guess, as far as collecting data from grantees. Um, and so we did some of that on like a smaller scale with our listening sessions um, across the state, but you guys did it. I think it, like there were 500 grantees or something like that, that filled out that. So yeah, with um, grant advisor and we yeah we just hosted we it certainly found it while we may encourage some of those practices we didn't we didn't do the work either so oh, okay <laughs> yeah that I was will, really helpful though yeah and I will say there is um you know that 
that was Kari Anastad from grantadvisor.org, but she has definitely inspired some movement um, within Foundant, you know, for our own practices, you know, we're taking a deeper look at what are things that we could do knowing that we are a leader in many ways for um, how, you know, could, to advise on best practices in some ways, um, what are ways that we can and fix our own forms in a way. So um, grantadvisor.org, I would highly recommend checking that out. So I'm gonna go ahead and call on Anissa here. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to follow up for us. Well, one, the fix the form was very helpful and dovetailed into a lot of the listening sessions that we've been doing and our program directors in relooking at grant programs have been uh, bringing together teams of the community members within their programs to get more feedback about how our grant programs run, you know, looking at people from a cross section of sizes of organizations, you know, making sure there's uh, a lot of people at the table to be advisors and to really pick apart like the process of applying for the grant and barriers that other people might see that we're as our state arts agency might not be aware of about accessibility, about access to computers, you know, how difficult it is to view online, downloading PDFs, just having a lot of people at the table to sort of share their own experiences has been really informative. And then we're using that information to shape our grant programs and then think about what the applications will look like. So we're in the middle of that process. Um, but it's been really helpful. So how we can tweak things right now, and then we'll be making bigger changes along the way. But I think the community input from people who are really applying is very helpful and informative. We have Kate and Toby here. So Kate, if you would like to take the floor again. Sure. Um, I just kind of want to tag on to what um, Beth and Anissa were saying about the fix the form um, webinar a couple of weeks ago. That's what I was referring to. And I, uh, that was just fantastic and quite eye-opening really. But going back to how do we prepare for these changes, um, I'm not sure that this really addresses that question, but we have done a lot of work over the last couple of years prior to COVID really um, on outcomes. We know that a lot of um, larger grant makers are requesting, uh, want to know um, about the outcomes and goals and outcomes. And so we, we personally did a lot of work um, in that direction. And so, and we felt like it was something that we could encourage our, or should encourage our grant partners to do. And that's when I said we went overboard on the application, we ask a lot of those questions um, about um, outcomes, goals, et cetera. And I, when I say we went overboard, I, it, was, <laughs> it was from the Fix the Form um, webinar that made me think about that. But um, prior to that, I have had a couple of conversations. Uh, so we, we, we fund in Texas, New Mexico, and Oklahoma. And our board has, wants us to get out of the larger cities and into, these, into the more rural areas, uh, which is fantastic. But those non Profits oftentimes are a church or um, just a small volunteer-run um, 
food pantry, something like that. And they don't have the staff to fill out the applications, much less internet, um, stable internet connections, all of those things. So the, all, you know, those are, that's making us rethink all of our application, our work towards um, the goal setting. While we still feel like that's important, but maybe for smaller organizations like others have said that they just don't have the staff to do this. And so that's where we're at right now is really starting to, to look at, do we have different standards for different grantees or you know how, how does that work? Yeah, really meeting people where they're at. That's great. Um, I think I'll just jump in real, real quick because um, I think Kate makes like a great point when it comes to the the size of organization organization and capabilities because I mean that's one of the issues that we're we're facing you know dealing with a lot of smaller organizations that just don't have the uh, capacity time uh, and and we certainly don't want to be in the business of putting up barriers to um, access to 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 our grants so that takes me back to when we talked about building relationship with with your grantees I think it's it's, it's it's so crucial to to build relationships, especially as we as we go forward and 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 try to change our processes or or considering different um, grant making programs to learn from others. You know, obviously try to avoid the mistakes that that others have uh, you know have endured. Um, you know, certainly the 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 founding community is, is is always a good resource, but also like the local um, communities for us the. Um, Greater Philadelphia um, Philanthropy Network has been has been really a goldmine um, in terms of connections and trying to learn from others of what they've done and, and what worked and what didn't work, so that um, you know we, we didn't necessarily be had to be the pioneers and, and for that you know our foundation is just too small to to be able to uh, uh, to do that and um, the other thing you mentioned video tutorials it's something that we were contemplating to also do video tutorials for our applications um, on, on how to best complete them and tackle them we're not quite in a position where we can offer or scale it based on the size of the um, organization applying you know smaller ones they have have less requirements versus larger ones but we we feel that the visual piece might be a nice addition to kind of walk them through the application and and prompt them to you know this is where you want to include information about this your program or your initiative or or or, or how to complete um the budget in in a way that it's 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 not a burden but also you know we can kind of make sure that this is a sound investment on, on, on our part. So the, just some some reactions from, from what you all said. The video, I mean, those are, that speaks to values of accessibility, transparency, the video tutorials allowing applicants to upload videos, certainly making your processes and your forms more accessible with those types of tutorials. It's hopefully something we've all learned we can do this past year. I just wanted to add, in addition to during the grant processes, echoing what people said, we have a lot of one-on-one -on -one and open sessions where the grantees can get help during the application process um, so that we try to make that more accessible. But then I just wanted to add, um, as a start, state arts agency, we personally don't 
uh, review or make any of the funding decisions. We actually bring an outside panel um, that changes to review the application. So we have to go through a training process with all these panelists and we try to make the panel as diverse as possible. But one of the things that we make sure that's part of that training process is that we remind the panelists that when they are judging the applications that they need to make sure that the applications followed that they needed to um, answer questions, but they need to be reminded that the panelists or the applications cannot be um, negatively impacted if there's um, typos or errors or grammatical um, problems with the application because that doesn't make a good or bad application. It's whether they've provided the information in some form to the application and that not to judge them negatively. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Training of your external committees. That's it, not just once, but continually. Um, that's, that's really important. What are other things that people have done based on the, the values of your, your organization that have prompted changes or some things you're thinking about doing, um, something you could do now? I, I can tell you one thing everybody could do now is to walk through their their forms as an applicant to try and really, you know, come at something with that applicant lens and just just see how easy is this? Do these questions make sense? Is it necessary that we cut off response times that or response uh, limits? You know that we make them a certain uh, character limit. Really putting that applicant lens on your forms is something anybody can do. Um, my name is Julia. I work at the Arts Council of um, Fort Worth. And we are also really interested in diversity, equity, and inclusion right now. And trying to figure out, you know, we provide funding to arts groups, but we feel like diversity, equity, and inclusion is something that touches all facets of culture and should really be worked into arts across the sector. So we're trying to figure out what we can do as a leader in Fort Worth to help encourage our grantees to take DEI more seriously um, and also provide them with tools to really address it um, because we also have a really wide array of sizes when it comes to groups. We have some really large budget organizations and then some really teeny ones. Um, and so we also have been trying to think about application questions that will get people thinking about plans related to DE&I. Um, eventually, I think we do wanna try and tie metrics to those questions. Um, ha we have a, an evaluation criteria called impact, which is kind of like, are you serving all of Fort Worth? Uh, who is your audience? And so I think we're, we are considering asking our panelists to actually look at demographic data that they've been providing for years um, and kind of look at the plans that they have in place in relation to DEI and use it as, as one of the factors they're using to evaluate that impact criteria point. Like I just mentioned, we've been collecting demographic data, uh, racial demographic data on the board, the audience, and the staff of our groups. And for years, we've been telling them you need to diversify. We need to see your, across all of these areas, we need to see more of a representation of the racial demographics of Fort Worth. 
uh, because a lot of the groups are overwhelmingly white and we have a very racially diverse city. And so we're trying to figure out how to push them to really do that. And so, like I said, I think we're gonna encourage panelists to consider that criteria. I think we are also gonna try and set some long-term goals for them to move the needle um, since we've been collecting that data for so long and continue to do so. I think we're, we're trying to figure out right now how to ask them to be making progress on a regular basis. You know, can we say, over the course of three years or five years, we need to see you making forward movement, getting your racial demographics closer aligned to those of the city. Um, by you know, 2035, can we have 10 percentage points of that racial demographic breakdown? We haven't implemented those things, but those are things we're, we're thinking about. We've been collecting the demographic data and encouraging diversification but we're trying to figure out how to tie actual metrics to it, because although we've been telling them that, we haven't really been seeing as much movement as we want to see. And along with that, we also want to provide them with tools to actually do it. But this year, we're, we're thinking we want to do capacity building directly in relation to diversity, equity, and inclusion. So providing funding to groups for, you know, perhaps bringing on a consultant to help develop a strategic plan or do an all staff training um, on implicit bias at their organization or you know any any number of projects just to help actually provide them with funding to reach some of some of those goals and, and push the needle. So I don't know if anyone else is working on projects like this, and trying to tie metrics to diversity, equity, inclusion, I, I found it very challenging. Um, and we want to make sure that we're providing funding, um, educational resources. We're also looking at bringing in a DEI consultant, like we will hire her and she'll provide workshops, a series of workshops to our grantees um, over Zoom. So we want to give them funding, we want to give them education, but we also want to see results. And so, yeah, we're trying to figure out how to measure those results currently. And the, the values of diversity, equity, and inclusion, there's there's definitely conversation in Compass in our community website. People, I know people have shared some resources, so that's another place for you to check out, um, Julia, if you haven't. Wonderful. Thank you. I'll definitely take a look. I'm curious. This is Susan again. I'm curious, are there other organizations that have found success in collecting those metrics or, or moving that needle? Kayla, you can go ahead and answer Susan's question here. Hi, I'm Kayla. I'm calling from the Coastal Community Foundation in South Carolina. Um, and it was interesting to hear Julia's thoughts. We're, we're kind of in the same boat, um, except closer to the start, we just started asking for demographic information um, and are definitely struggling with how we measure that in a way that doesn't make it more difficult for nonprofits um, or doesn't kind of cause issues there. Um, but one thing that we found that was really interesting is we added in some diversity, equity, and inclusion questions to our applications last year. And we're surprised to see some of the groups that we would consider incredibly inclusive and very close to the community really struggled with those questions. And I think part of what we found is that DEI language was actually a little bit of a barrier for some of them. You know, they might be very close to their community and very tied into things and very inclusive, but they didn't have that framework and really struggled to answer that question. Um, so one of the things we added to our criteria for our 
community panelists to consider was rather than framing it as DEI explicitly, we framed it more as proximity to community and responsiveness to community needs and put in some of the kind of DEI language into the build out. We have a rubric that we share um, with things they can consider for this um, criteria, questions they can look at, things like that, um, and kind of deformalize the language a little bit since we just found that was kind of difficult for folks to get through in some cases. Um, and that we've we've seen some success with, and it's it's almost it's almost the opposite of the metrics. I mean, we we certainly want to get to a place where we can have those more number-based, you know, more more tangible um, criteria. But we kind of felt like we needed to build a foundation first, both with our nonprofits of kind of what are we asking with these questions and what kinds of things that you're already doing can you lift up um, to help the committee understand where you are on this, um, but also some training for our committee members to help them understand what we're looking for um, to understand that a nonprofit does not need to be an expert in DEI. We're not expecting, I mean, we're certainly not experts, so we're certainly not expecting our nonprofits to be at an expert level. What we're really looking to see is, have they started these conversations? Are they you know, working with their board on how they can be more strategic with DEI or how they can move in that direction? Um, so it's interesting, you know, we added those questions in and kind of felt like we almost needed to to just set up a, a framework or a foundation to help folks understand what we're looking for. I think somebody mentioned earlier, you know, providing explanation of why we're asking things. So I think that buildup has been really crucial to us. Um, and we'll definitely be excited to hear how other folks have found ways to measure um, or have kind of some more tangible metrics, because that's certainly something we've struggled with as well. Thank you, Kayla. Um, and I definitely want to encourage everyone to continue this and other conversations in in compass um, we've really over the last year since we introduced compass had a lot of success with um, you know facilitating conversations or, or fostering i should say um, amongst peers so um, please do continue to to chime in over there so thank you again, everybody. Thank you everyone for chiming in. It's uh, great for us to learn from you as well. We, we bring these conversations back to our teams and we appreciate your input. Want to join the conversation? Subscribe to Connected Philanthropy. New episodes are released every other Monday. Want to talk to other like-minded people in the philanthropic community? Join us at community.foundant.com.